All right, jump into the book of James. Um, what we're going to do today is uh, we're, we're going to do it passage by passage. Uh, it's going to take all this term and probably some of the following term. Uh, be good 14 weeks that we're going to go through it. But today I want to do a bit of a flyover, right, from a bit of high altitude and quickly whiz through it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk forward through the, the book, the letter, um, to show you a thread that I think runs through it. And then we're going to come back the other way, back to the beginning, to show you another thread that I think those two threads are quite important for us in understanding the whole of this letter. Um, I'd encourage you to use these, right? We do these in A5 sheets with a blank page on the back just to take some notes. Now, I know there's times where you just want to focus in and listen. I get that. But I tell you what, learning is so much improved by just taking some notes with it. And I, I do it every time I'm listening, or most of the time when I'm listening to other people, and I often go back and reread notes. I find them really, really helpful. So we've done it deliberately in this way, and so if I see you scribbling stuff down, um, I'll be encouraged, right? right? So uh, do that would be really good. So James, um, I keep saying it and looking my son, uh, my third son is named James, and my Second son has his middle name of James, so it's a very uh, good name. This is a letter written at a very early time in the church. We think it's probably somewhere between the, the middle of the 40s to somewhere in the 50s, right? That's uh, somewhere between maybe 10 and 20 years after the resurrection. It's an early letter. This is to the early church. And you see, he says in it, it's addressed says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, Nick did a message a, a number of weeks ago from Acts 8, where he talked about the persecution and the church being pushed out. Only the apostles remained in Jerusalem. And he talked about that as important for the church to go into other places, the diaspora, and then they had to think about the culture that they were then involved in. And so they had to be flexible in the way that they operated. Now, this is a few years down the track where those churches have been out. Those people have been away from Jerusalem for a period of time. Uh, house churches have, have, have been set up in a number of these places. And James is hearing things which makes him want to write a letter to them. Now, some letters you write, like the Christmas family newsletter, you write very generically. You have no one particular in mind that you're writing to. And so you write in a type of style that way. And some people think the book of James is like that. It's, it's got all this, these imperatives, this lovely bits of wisdom, these things that we should do. And so it sits in the genre a little bit of Old Testament Proverbs or the, the New Testament Sermon on the Mount idea. But I think, Andy Gemmel helped me on this, he thinks it's not quite in that style. And we'll see that as we flick through it. He said, the, the description of the behaviors that are going on there are too specific. You know, you don't write about specific things unless you've got somebody in mind that you are writing to. So when he's writing about particular behaviors that are going on, he's obviously heard about those things that are happening within churches. And he wants to call them to something. He wants to call them so that their faith that they have professed, the truth that they have known, the declaration that they have made, gets embedded in how they behave, how they operate. 
Now, um, it's an interesting question because often what happens is we hear about the early church and we just love the concept of the early church, isn't it? They had it all together. They did everything right. They had no issues at all. Nobody fought. Nobody said bad things against each other. They never worried. You know, it's often framed in that way. Now, we can learn some very important things about the early church in the book of Acts, right? About what they emphasized. But what we learn here is the early church had all the problems that we see today in our modern church. And it happened very early. Because unfortunately, well, fortunately, but unfortunately, churches are full of people. And they, they used to say dairy farming would, would be great without cows, eh? You know, it's kind of ch churches defined by people. But the reality is that we're people who are fallen and people who are figuring out what it means for faith to be in action. Now, some people have looked at the book of James. Martin Luther famously said he called it the letter of straw. He didn't think much of the book of James. He says it doesn't reference Jesus Christ enough or what he would understand the gospel to be. But what we need to understand is that he's writing to a group of people who know the gospel. He's writing to a group of people who know Jesus. These people were told about it directly from the apostles. Some of them possibly even knew, had met Jesus himself, right? They knew. Their shortfall was not an intellectual knowledge of what was going on. Their shortfall was they didn't realize that faith has an action. This is why the series is called Faith Does. Faith can't just sit redundantly in you without making a change in you. And so the question that sits before us as we go through this book of James is, what does faith look like? Because we often go, faith is this invisible sort of thing. James says, no, it's not. Faith is something that moves you in your mind, in your heart, and in your hands and feet. It has, it has a look to it. And so James is telling us what that looks like. But he's also at the same time telling us what it doesn't look like. So we're going to go through, uh, I apologize for going so quickly, but we are going to go back through, these, through the series. But I think you'll see why I wanted to quickly whiz through it in this moment. So let's start in chapter 1. A very good place to start. Okay, click. Lawrence, that, that didn't work for some reason. We'll see how we go. I've just titled today Faith Triumphs, and you'll see where I'm heading as to why I, I have called it that way. So let's go to the first slide there, um, Lawrence, and see how we go. Okay, I think I might be working now. So first one we see here, um, and I've done them all beginning with F, so some of you might go, oh, you chose the wrong word there, but this is why I've chosen it. These are some of the characteristics that James pulls out in his epistle of things that he is seeing. And he gets right into it. There's not a lot of, you know, lovely little intro there. He goes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So firstly, we know that this is a group of people who were under stress. They've been, had to get out of Dodge, out of Jerusalem. They've gone into these different cultures. They've lost their homes. They've often lost their peoples. They're a displaced people. That would cause a lot of stress. They're under stress and trial. But what he's hearing is their response to it is not one of faith. 
Not one of going, God is using this for his purposes. God is using this to transform me, which is what we'll look at next week. They seem to have this idea that when uncomfortable things happen in my life, they're wrong, and I should be afraid of them, and I should build my life around a life of comfort. And he says, when you have that mindset, when you encounter trials, what happens? You fall to pieces. When he actually says, consider it pure joy. Now, we'll look at that a lot more in depth next week. The second one here, this is an interesting one. We'll, we'll read chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Come over to chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we cause human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So they had issues with their tongues and the way that they talk and spoke to people. James knows that words have power. They move. They create action. And I'm not saying here foul mouth is they swore a lot. I mean foul mouth is they used words to create a wrong action in other people. They used words as weapons. And they would curse people who are made in God's likeness. The third one we see is frustration. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Quick to... Not many people are reading it. Quick to listen. Slow to... And slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So these were frustrated, angry people that he's calling them to stop being that way. Chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Favoritism was present. And I love James here because he doesn't beat around the bush. Did you see what he says there in that last bit? When you do favoritism, he's saying you're discriminating, you've become a judge, and you have evil thoughts. So he doesn't go, oh, just stop being, you know, showing favoritism, be nice to all people. He's going, when you act like that, there's something rotten in your core. It's a theme that he comes back to in a number of places. Come over to chapter 4. We'll spend a little bit longer in this one because I think this is a key text in understanding the whole letter. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is that a good question? Anybody here would like to know the answer to that question? <laughs> right? It's a great question. Whenever you, you're, there's a group of people together, for any length of time, there will be fights and quarrels. And so James is fascinated by this. Let's see what he says. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Fight. 
Now, I need someone, a volunteer, to help me with this illustration. Thanks, Bryce. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, you just have to stand there and look pretty. Easy. Easy for you. That's why I chose you. Now, I, some of you may have heard me talk about this before. Um, but we can talk about these idea. I've heard the concept of, of deep idols, and they often put them in, in as four deep idols that you have. These are desires that sit very deeply within your soul that you want to have. One is power, approval, comfort, and control. Now, what James is describing here is he's saying there's desires that sit within your heart deep in there, and you can't get them, right? You can't get at them. And often that's because there's people that sit in your way of having it, right? In this case, it's Bryce, right? <laughs> I'm reading a book at the moment. It's a, it's a hard read, but it's a book on um, abuse within marriage relationships. And it's an interesting read because the, the author here, um, he says, you know, people talk about the behaviors that are on the surface, anger, manipulation, coercion, right? You see those on the surface. And so people think, well, they just need a, an anger management program, or they need some tactics to stop manipulating. But he's saying they're missing the point. They are behaviors that sit on the outside because they're wanting to use the person to get at something that sits deep within them. So it's often power or control. We'll use power in this instance. So with a, with a partner, what they do is they use or abuse the partner to get power. To illustrate this, one, he, said, he asked one of the, a lady who was being abused one day, because the, the guy would go, he would just get crazy. And she said it was just random. He'd be all over the place. And so he asked her this. He said, when he gets crazy and angry and he breaks stuff, whose stuff does he break? She thought about it for a moment. She said, he only ever breaks his stuff. Ah, oh, I'd never thought about that before. And he said, when the police turn up, right, when you've had an incident, what's he like when they turn up? Ah, oh, he suddenly becomes really calm, and I'm the one agitated. And he tells the police that I'm the one who's agitated and caused it, so there's a tendency for them to believe that at that moment because suddenly he seems calm and rational. So suddenly what you see as surface behavior that seems random and needs to be sorted is actually they're trying for power over the other person. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying there? Do you get that concept, right? Now let's shift it a little bit. Thanks, Bryce. You're doing well. Cool. Okay. Let's try one a little bit, maybe closer to home. Approval. Okay. Now Bryce is sitting here between me and approval. And I have, as my deep idol, approval. Now think in your minds what my behavior is going to be like in the way that I treat Bryce to get approval. Hmm, that's interesting. I still might be being manipulative. 
I certainly wouldn't want to confront him in any way, would I? I, 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 want, I need his approval because that gives me my approval that I've put up there on my pedestal as my idol. Can you see what he's saying? So when James is going, what causes fights and quarrels among you, he's, he's saying, you're seeking after stuff, and what you do is that person in the middle there, you excuse your behavior towards that person because you're after something deep within you, and you justify your behavior. And he's saying it's wrong unless you deal with the deep stuff that you're after. Thanks, Bryce. You did well. Thanks, man. <laughs> okay. We'll tease that out a little bit more in a later kind of session, but I, do you get the concept? There's, there's deeper stuff that James is trying to tease out of us to, to understand our behavior that sits above it. Okay. Chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he's talking about wealthy people there, but not... He starts saying wealth in itself is wrong, but he says when you hold wages back from workers, he talks about it as fraudulent... And then he also talks about it as fattening yourselves up at the expense of others. And then the last one, chapter 5, the last two verses, he says this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. How's that for good early church? You want to go to that one? <laughs> right? This is, this is reality here of what James is going, reality of behavior that we see, but reality of behavior that we see in our own lives. But why I think 19 and 20 is very important for, I think, partly what drives this whole letter is, when, when you're writing a letter, you've got something in mind of what you're trying to do. And he gives it away a little bit at this end here where he's going, there's people who just wander from the truth. They, they stop believing in the, the truth. It often coincides with a change in their moral behavior. It's consistent with the way that they then treat people. And he goes, we have a responsibility in this space as a community of people. Because who does he say is responsible for it? Did you read it? My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone. It didn't say elder. It didn't say pastor. It didn't say ministry leader. It just said someone. And someone's are what our church Locally, globally, desperately need. We need people who care about all this stuff. That's what James is getting at. And he says it at the end there, right? You are called in this space to see this type of behavior and be present with people to help them through it. And they're probably present to help you out of it. Right, let's quickly go back through. I want so you see that thread there of what he's trying to do. Now let's quickly run back through because I um I want to show you he's not just going after bad behavior. James 4 he says, Well, do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? 
Those who have believed in Jesus Christ and understand forgiveness of sin receive the Spirit, and that Spirit dwells in you and gives us grace. This is a generous God who wants to give wisdom and grace. But he says, I want to give it to a certain type of people. I can't give it to proud people, but I lovingly lavish it on those who have humility. Verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is very relational. Even though it's talking a lot about behavior, at a core he talks about a lot of relationship stuff. He talks about wisdom and peace coming from, coming from heaven above. He talks here, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being polluted from the world. He's describing to you what a good, faith-filled faith-controlled, spirit-dwelling life looks like. Now, I just want to quickly do this. Some of you will have seen this before. We've used this before. But a spiritually mature person has these three things, I think, well-connected. Knowledge of the truth, which primarily comes through Scripture. That's our revelation given to us. There's an obedience that I'm called to. It's not just an absent intellectualism that I have. I'm called to walk in obedience, called to do stuff. It looks different, right? And the third one is a spiritual intimacy. I'm in relationship with God. His Spirit dwells in me, right? He's my heavenly Father. We, we, we refer to him. It's a relational one. Now, those three things are meant to come together because if you just have a dry biblical knowledge, it can be an intellectual faith with the other two absent. Legalism is a real issue where I just obey stuff for the sake of wanting people to approve of me or whatever drives it, right? A legalism. And the third one is a, a huge issue that is growing, and that is that I have an emotional one only, separate from truth and obedience. All I want to do is experience God, right? Now, experiencing God is a good thing, but if it's not embedded in truth and walking in obedience then it becomes an emotional faith. And often it's all over the show. So those three things are meant to work in together and James pulls all of those together. Here's what I'll close with. James 1.18, he says this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of a first fruits of all he created. We don't use the term first fruits. You don't use that on the orchard anymore do you if first fruits mean anything what it, i love how the new living translation gives us a little thing of it he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we out of all creation become his prized possession isn't that lovely the idea of first fruits is the most lovely fruit the beautiful it's not saying it's the first you pick in a season it's saying it's something beautiful God desires that we understand we are his treasured possession and we respond in faith and he wants to lavish on us in his generosity, grace and then we walk in that truth and it changes us. I love singing that hymn. Thank you, Ellen, for choosing it. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. Let's pray and then we're going to close with a song.
Father, we, we long to live in the calling that you have upon our lives. We long to be free of a whole lot of those things that we had up on the screen that James could accuse us of in our individual lives, but also within our community. Father, we, we pray for our series going forward in this book of James. Would you change us? Would you soften our hearts? Would you help us to have the humility through which grace flows and which would change us in beautiful and loving ways? But would you also help us to understand how you think of us, that your love for me is marvelous and wonderful. May it capture our hearts, our minds, and our hands and feet. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.